I'm Cecilia Lay, and this is Fit the Mission. A rough week for the banking industry. The collapse of Silicon Valley Bank. The second biggest bank collapse in U.S. history. We hadn't seen anything like the collapse of Silicon Valley Bank since the financial crisis of 07 and 08. Alarm outside headquarters of Silicon Valley Bank in Santa Clara, California today. They just came out and told us that the bank is shut down. The bank was a major lender for the tech industry, including startups. Some of its early clients included big companies like Cisco. A lot was at stake for the local Bay Area economy, and people were worried. Lucky for Silicon Valley Bank's depositors, President Biden was also concerned about the far-reaching impacts of its implosion. Last week, when we learned of the problems of the banks and the impact they could have on jobs of small businesses and banking system overall, I instructed my team to act quickly to protect these interests. They've done that. They've done that. On Friday, the government regulator in charge, the FDIC, took control of Silicon Valley Bank's assets. The Biden administration's swift intervention brought relief to local industries because it wasn't just tech that was feeling the impact. Silicon Valley Bank has also been the lending bank for California wineries for nearly three decades. It's extended more than $4 billion in loans to wineries and vineyards. Today on Fit the Mission, Chronicle reporters Esther Mobley and Jess Lander join me to talk about how Silicon Valley Bank became the gold standard for wine country. How did the bank position itself to make that happen? What will be the long-term considerations for the region as it recovers from last week's crisis? And what vulnerabilities still exist for wine business owners? Esther, Jess, thanks for being here. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thank you. Jess, I'd love to start with you. Can you describe the relationship between wineries and Silicon Valley Bank. Just how intertwined are they? Silicon Valley Bank founded a wine division back in 1994. And since then, they've given out $4 billion in loans to wineries and vineyards. And even though wineries only represent about 2% of the bank's total loan business, they did work with about 400 wineries total. So it's definitely one of the leading banks for wineries to use. And Um, They provided loans for things like uh, vineyard development, real estate purchases, equipment purchases, a whole bunch of stuff. It wasn't just checking and savings accounts. At the same time, the wine division really made itself a thought leader in the industry and was a place that a lot of wineries relied on for advice and also a yearly annual wine industry report that was very data-driven and really provided a comprehensive outlook on the future and drove winery decisions. Now, Esther, this was sort of by design, right? Uh, Silicon Valley Bank courted this industry intentionally to become the go-to bank for these wineries. Is that right? Yeah, I think Silicon Valley Bank really saw a, a niche here that they could capture. So the man responsible for founding the wine division back in 1994 is named Rob McMillan. And part of what he really set out to do was to understand a very unique and particular industry and its kind of financial needs. So if you think about wineries, a lot of their assets are hard to value compared to some other types of industries. For example, they'll make these huge investments by buying land, by buying a building for a winery, often in these very expensive areas like Napa and Sonoma. They will produce wine, and then it's like years (laughs) before they actually sell a product. So a lot of their assets are are just tied up in these super long-term 
things. And um, then they're sitting on wine inventory often for years before they can actually sell a bottle. So many businesses would make a product, sell it, write it off on their taxes that very same year. Wineries have a much longer period of time during which they have to kind of float the the cash, so to speak. And so the bank needs to understand what the winery's assets are worth, what the collateral is essentially worth in order to determine how much credit they should be able to take out. And that's really complicated when it comes to wine businesses. So part of what Silicon Valley Bank was really good at was just figuring out how to kind of make those those calculations work. And it absolutely distinguished itself as the bank in the Bay Area that understood that the best. You know, obviously, because of all the things Esther just outlined, there's, I think, increased risk for banks to work with wineries. And another kind of wrinkle in that is the growing season and vintage variability. And when you have things like fires, which have happening more regularly, um, kind of creating chaos and leaving wineries with less assets, less product, needing insurance for their grapes or not being able to afford their grapes is another thing that a lot of banks might not be ready to address in the way that Silicon Valley Bank does. So I'm interested in hearing how winery owners and other workers in the industry have reacted to this implosion, essentially. Esther, you spoke to a few of them. What was their initial reaction last week? Friday was chaos. Jess can attest to this, too. We were both making a lot of calls and trying to understand what was happening. I mean, pretty early on Friday morning, we learned that the bank was being shut down. And then there were a lot of questions about would deposits over $250,000, which is what the FDIC insures, be available. Initially, um, account holders were not able to get access to any of their money. Were checks going to be bouncing? Were insurance payments going to be missed? And then were people going to be losing their insurance? Was payroll going to be made? I spoke with Jasmine Hirsch, who's the winemaker and general manager at Hirsch Vineyards in Sonoma County. And one concern she had is that she had taken out a term loan from Silicon Valley Bank the year before at a really, really good low interest rate, but hadn't um, collected on the funds yet. So she was concerned that maybe if if her loan were suddenly transferred to a different bank, she might be subject to significantly higher interest rates, which would really throw her business's financial planning for a loop. There was definitely a lot of uncertainty through the weekend until by Sunday night, the federal government announced that they would be insuring all deposits, including those over $250,000. And by Monday, we were hearing that people were getting access to their bank accounts once again. And Jess, which kinds of wineries are most vulnerable? Because, I mean, wineries come in all different sizes. There's big ones, small ones. Who was feeling most vulnerable? In a lot of these chaotic situations, the smaller wineries are always the most vulnerable. Um, They have maybe the least amount of capital when things go bad. I spoke to Kendra Koala, who's the co-founder of Baker, which is a Bay Area canned wine company. And, you know, she was really expressing how Silicon Valley Bank was really the gold standard of banking for wineries. And so while she said that even on Friday when things were very uncertain that her business would be okay, She was just really concerned for the rest of the industry and the fallout, um, especially the small wineries that Maker works with. They sell canned wines from a lot of very small California producers. And, you know, she was just worried about what this would mean for the future. But at the same time, because of this situation and the 
largest deposits being the ones that were in jeopardy. I think even the larger wineries were maybe the most in jeopardy and vulnerable at that time. Um, but it does seem like overall, uh, most of them are going to be made whole. More with Esther Mobley and Jess Lander after a quick break. What kind of vulnerabilities did the Silicon Valley Bank shutdown expose about wine country? You're listening to Fifth and Mission. If you have a comment or there's a story you think we should cover, let us know. You can email us at fifth, that's F-I-F-T-H, at sfchronicle.com, or leave us a voicemail at 415-777-6156. Jess Lander, the FDIC stepped in to take control of the deposits and assets of Silicon Valley Bank. Where do things stand now for winemakers? I think that, you know, they're all able to access their accounts and make those immediate payments and transactions that they need to do. They're able to make payroll if they haven't already. And what I'm not sure about is if the FDIC is going to insure all of their deposits, even if they go over $250,000, do they have access to that now or will they have access to it down the line? I think we're also still waiting to understand what's going to happen to the bank in the long term. A bridge bank has been created. Um, to kind of settle the immediate chaos, but we don't really know what's going to happen longer term in terms of where Silicon Valley Bank's accounts are going to go. I was going to say, and with that uncertainty of if and when a new bank will take over, um, I think those that have existing loans will be waiting to see what will happen to those. Will they be transferred? Will they have to lock in at the new interest rates, which in a lot of cases are significantly higher than when they locked them in? And Esther, beyond just the financial repercussions, are there other sorts of casualties that the wine industry will have to face in the wake of this this huge event? Yeah, it's funny. Silicon Valley Bank had kind of almost become more than a bank for the wine industry. It had become this kind of cultural thing. Um, first of all, because it essentially specialized in these two industries, tech and wine, it brought those two industries together quite a bit. It connected tech clients with its wine clients and hooked up wineries with a lot of these high net worth customers. It was kind of helping them hold fun events like that. One main thing that I know Jess and I are paying close attention to is this state of the wine industry report that Jess mentioned earlier. This had become really the leading, most visible annual report on how the U.S. wine industry was doing. The reason it was so influential was because the data it used was based on surveys of wineries that banked with Silicon Valley Bank. And because it has so many winery clients, it was able to have this really great data set. So Rob McMillan, who was the founder of the, the bank's wine division and the author of that report, has said he doesn't yet know what's going to happen to uh, that annual report. It's unclear whether he'll try to take it independent or do it through a different employer. I think, obviously, if he doesn't have access to all of the winery banking clients that he once had access to, it might become more difficult. But 
That was really a bellwether we looked to every January to understand what was happening with this industry. And for example, if you've seen a lot of the headlines in the last couple of years about how the wine industry can't win over younger millennial and Gen Z drinkers, the Silicon Valley Bank State of the Wine Industry report had really become the entity up on a soapbox (laughs) broadcasting that message. So we'll see what happens without that thought leadership. Rob has mentioned that he's had, I think, up to seven parties since Friday reach out, expressing interest in helping him continue it on. But he also said that it was a very expansive effort that cost upwards of $100,000 a year to create. So it remains to be seen if someone will be able to sponsor that effort. Jess, is this making winery business owners rethink their relationship with the tech industry at all? I mean, they, they were sort of intermingled. They shared this leading lender, this bank. Where does that relationship stand now, you think? Yeah, I don't know if it necessarily will interrupt their relationship with the tech industry. I think a lot of wineries rely on people that work within the tech industry to buy their wines and will continue to do so. However, in terms of utilizing a bank that is so well integrated with the tech industry, that might be where they reconsider their financing needs in the future, just knowing how volatile it can be and having this experience, they might look for someone that is a little more balanced out in their portfolio. Mm -hmm. Well, a question for both of you, since you both examine the wine industry so closely, how does this latest hurdle fit into the overall health and morale of the wine industry, you think? I think we have to wait and see how it's going to affect the industry long term. I spoke with a lawyer yesterday who's kind of a leading attorney handling mergers and acquisitions in the wine industry. And she essentially said she doesn't think this is going to have many long-term effects, given that some of the kind of immediate concerns like access to money have been addressed. You know, we are in this moment where we're seeing merger and acquisition activity in the wine industry slow down a little bit, but that may be more because of the rising cost of capital, rising interest rates than because of something like this. This may kind of exacerbate that or, let's say, not improve the situation. We've had a good old-fashioned run on the bank here, and I think this has raised a lot of questions that are much bigger than the wine industry about how do we communicate in this digital age about things like money, where you know, do these individual venture capitalist people have excess influence on how people are handling their money? What do we make of these kind of mid-sized regional banks, which have been in real turmoil all week, up and down? So we'll see. The wine industry is enmeshed in all of that. And as Jess mentioned, they, you know, the wine industry to some extent really depends on boom times for people to be buying luxury wine. On the other hand, a lot of the assets that that kind of undergird wineries, like land, are a lot more stable than other types of assets when recessions hit. You know, a vineyard in Napa isn't going to lose its value the way cryptocurrency (laughs) has lost its value in the last year. So there's definitely reason to believe that the industry can be resilient through something like this. Yeah, I think the industry has proven it's very resilient through the last few years. And I think this was a really big deal over the weekend. And now everyone's kind of breathing a sigh of relief. But also has this feeling of like, 
what's next. We are just continuously being faced with challenges of, you know, the pandemic and fires and supply chain issues. And then you've got inflation and recession concerns and then something that they never saw coming, a bank run. So I think people are just a little tired maybe, but also are very positive because they have proven their resiliency over the years and are just really relieved that this doesn't at least as of now look like a major long-term issue. Justin Esther, thank you so much. I appreciate the time. Thank you. Thank you. Esther Mobley is The Chronicle's senior wine critic, and Jess Lander is a wine reporter. For their reporting on Silicon Valley Bank's collapse and its impact on wine country, visit sfchronicle.com and The Chronicle app. Thanks to Francesca Fenzi for producing this episode and to you for listening.